Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce cost and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. We've found that so many of the stories we want to cover feature a sheriff or a patrolman who encounters the unexplainable and then has to face down a small town who can't quite believe what they've experienced. And today, we bring you just such a man. You see, in 1973, one Jeff Greenhaw of Falkville, Alabama, had a very, very eventful October. That year, he had an encounter with a being that some have argued was an alien, and others have posited might have been considered a cryptid. But really, we don't know if this particular creature shiny and metallic as it was, quite fits the bill. Certainly, Jeff Greenhaw didn't think he'd run into any kind of animal, or humanoid for that matter. In fact, what he saw that night would come to be known as the Metal Man. According to the Birmingham Post-Herald, Jeff Greenhaw wasn't just a lawman. He was the chief of police. Of course, that was really by default. He was the only police officer in town, technically speaking. His patrol car was a truck, and he was responsible for approximately 3.8 square miles of town, and in 1973, just under a 1,000 residents. He was young, too, just 23 years old. But no matter the size of the jurisdiction... That was a fair amount of responsibility to land on someone who, in 2022, would pay a hefty penalty just to rent a car for the weekend. The evening of October 17, 1973, started normally enough. Jeff had just begun keeping a camera in his patrol vehicle, which sounds odd, we know, but he had a good reason. There have been some reports of odd things in the southern skies that week, and Jeff Greenhall thought that he'd better go out prepared. And prepared he was when, according to the Decatur Daily, 
a call came in to the police station. It was from a woman who reported that she'd seen strange things just outside Falkville. Specifically, something strange out on a country road. The caller didn't identify herself, and Jeff didn't ask. He simply got into his patrol truck and headed out. He drove out to a little area between Falkville and Lacan, a ghost town just three minutes outside Falkville limits. The town had folded in on itself when its brick plant closed in the mid-century, and the few houses left were served by Falkville's utilities and emergency services. It was between Falkville and Lacan that Chief of Police Jeff Greenhall came upon a site that would change his life forever. Per the Decatur Daily, he saw a figure wandering down a lane. There, in the darkness, was this shining thing. Not the stars, nor the moon, or a car stopped, headlights ablaze. This thing was on the move, and it looked for all the world like a man made of pure metal. Jeff slowed his vehicle to a crawl, trying to let his brain catch up to his eyes. After all, he couldn't be seeing what he was seeing, right? And yet there it was. It looked something like a man in a spacesuit, but shining and silver in a way that was totally unfamiliar in Jeff's experience. Well, in his adult experience. Jeff told the Coleman Tribune, When I was a child, I used to watch the movie Lost in Space. The robot in the movie, it kind of reminded me of that to some extent. It was about six feet tall and had arms and legs and a head, but that's where the human characteristics ended, because the thing that Jeff encountered that evening appeared to be formed of some kind of shining material, like metal. Imagine a suit of armor, but without all the awkward hinges and creaking joints. According to the Coleman Tribune, Jeff later recalled that my initial thoughts were maybe aluminum foil, but there were no pieces around after it was all over. I don't know what to believe at that point. He described the suit in his report from that evening by writing that it looked like his head and neck were kind of made together. He was real bright, something like rubbing mercury on nickel but just as smooth as glass. Different angles gave different lighting. Jeff wasn't able to see much. It was night after all, but he recalled to the Decatur Daily that it didn't have any features on its face and had a point on top of its head. Jeff decided that he'd better go and get a closer look, so he slowed down his patrol car to a stop got out and stood a ways off from the metallic being. According to the Selma Times Journal, Jeff recalled, I was standing there in the middle of the road. I got out of my patrol car and said, Howdy, stranger. But he didn't say a word. I reached back, got my camera, and started taking pictures of him. After Jeff got his photos, and as an aside, we're not sure why the metal man was willing to hold still long enough to pose for those Polaroids, but we'll put that aside for now. Jeff decided to lean into the patrol car and flip on his lights. That was apparently 
a bad idea. Jeff told the Coleman Tribune, When I look back, it was moving away from me. So I decided to chase it down, and if I had to, run over it. Jeff jumped back in his truck, and as you'll be totally unsurprised to discover, gave chase. But, surprisingly, it was more difficult than he imagined, because it should be fairly simple for a vehicle to keep up with a man, even a metal one, who is on foot. But that wasn't the case. According to an interview with the Decatur Daily, Jeff said, I couldn't even keep up with him in the patrol car. He was running faster than any human I ever saw. It moved stiff like a robot, but it didn't make any sounds. Its shoulders were round-like, and it moved really fast. As he explained to the Coleman Tribune, it wasn't moving like you or I would move. It's like it had springs on its feet or something. Jeff estimated in various reports that he was driving 35 miles an hour at the height of his chase down the country roads. But the metal man evaded him, darting away with its springing steps. And maybe Jeff would have eventually caught up. Maybe not. But strangers will never know. Because the chase ended in a crash of Jeff's patrol truck specifically. Now, strangers, you know how this kind of story goes. Normally, this is where the protagonist writes up a report and has no proof, and tells their story while everyone nods and shifts around nervously, wondering how to explain to the fella that he's just been seeing things. But something was different about police chief Jeff Greenhaw. Remember, he had four Polaroid photos to show for his experience. And Falkville, Alabama was a buzz. Everyone wanted to see the metal man. Soon, reporters from all over the state showed up, wanting to speak with Jeff. And then, it didn't take long for Jeff's photos to make it past the Alabama state lines. According to the Decatur Daily, they were, quote, transmitted across the country and perhaps around the world, in a matter of a week or so, along with Jeff's account. The attention made him kind of a celebrity, but also drew a massive amount of attention to the lawman from the tiny town. Jeff told the Decatur Daily, Right now, I'm still trying to convince myself it was a hoax. I've laid awake at night just going over and over in my mind what happened, I want to think it was somebody's idea of a joke, but then again, there are some things I just can't understand. You'd naturally think it was a joke, but the way the thing moved and the way the suit fits so well is hard to believe. I just lay there at night and just have these weird thoughts. Soon after the story of the metal man hit the national press, Jeff Greenhaw began to receive a very different kind of attention. Threats. It's not clear why, exactly, or who felt the need to issue them, but the phone calls began. Unfortunately, Mrs. Greenhaw was the one who received them. Per the Times Decatur Bureau, the voices on the other line issued threats like, I'm going to get your husband for taking my picture. There's no word precisely on how Mrs. Greenhaw dealt with these menacing voices. 
they'd only been married for a little over three years. We know that Jeff was 23, so she couldn't have been much older. But we know that their problems didn't end there. Because soon after the phone calls began, Jeff told reporters that his car engine mysteriously blew up. That is the moment when the mood, the reporting, around Jeff's story changed. The phone calls, the engine, all the attention, it began to feel more oppressive than impressive. Everybody's been talking about it, he told the Decatur Daily, asking me if I've seen any more monsters. I know it's got to be a hoax, but then I think that anything can be possible. By then, plenty of people were talking behind his back, too. He'd later recall to the Coleman Tribune that he'd heard whispers and jeers every time he went on patrol. People had started to say he'd fallen for a big joke. Or maybe he'd even pulled one. They weren't taking him seriously. And for the chief of police, that could be dangerous. Jeff seemed to hint in the articles that ran after that someone might have done something to his car engine. But he never outright said it. And we have to assume that Mrs. Greenhall was afraid, or else fed up with the attention, because she filed for divorce just three days after their vehicle went up in flames. And, pure the Bureau, quote, it was granted. Just like that, in a matter of weeks, Jeff Greenhall had lost his car, his wife, and his life as he knew it. All because of one strange night. And fate wasn't through with him yet. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Looking for creepy stories? Then we might have a podcast for you. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. Rattled and Shook is a weekly podcast that features new scary stories every episode, kind of like this. I would hear her say things to me inside my head. I couldn't get around him. I was trapped. The other guy started to get pretty agitated. He grabbed my grandfather's oxygen hose and he cut off his oxygen. Then I started thinking, well, you know, who would be hanging around in this nowhere forest, in this nowhere area? And that's when I started looking more closely. And that's when I noticed there were several shapes. And they were slowly working their way toward me as they were moving from tree to tree. New episodes of Rattled and Shook are out every Thursday. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. According to the Decatur Daily News, a blown engine and a failed marriage weren't the end of police chief Jeff Greenhall's troubles. A month after his encounter with the metal man, he came back from attending a local high school football game to find his house, a mobile home he'd kept up himself, ablaze. The fire chief... He immediately suspected arson, but Jeff wasn't so sure. He told the Decatur Daily News, I have been having some trouble with the circuit breakers, and I've been trying to fix them myself. 
I guess I didn't do a very good job, and something went wrong when I was at the football game. Jeff figured that he'd worsen the blaze by throwing the door open. He told the news that the fire was at the rear of the trailer at the time, but when I let all that air in in the front, it caused a natural draft, and that's all it needed. Per the Daily News, Jeff was, understandably, beginning to feel cursed. I've gone over and over it in my mind, and I keep getting back to the night that I saw the thing. I know it doesn't make any sense, but it seems like everything bad started happening to me that night. It just seems like there's something wrong somewhere. A man tries to lead a good Christian life, and these things start happening to him. Now, Jeff did have supporters in the community, which cheered him, but that couldn't soften the final blow. According to the Decatur Daily News, that November, just days after his trailer burned, Jeff resigned as Foxville Chief of Police. And, per the Bureau, quote, it was granted. But it wasn't by choice. Apparently, the request came directly from Mayor Wade Tomlinson. Jeff, who'd had to move in with his parents after his home burn, said, They didn't give me any reason whatsoever. The mayor didn't comment for the story, but a local councilman named Hugh Clemens told the paper that it was a result of, quote, A lot of things around here were not getting done. But the council and the mayor do want to emphasize that our asking Mr. Greenhall to resign has absolutely nothing to do in any shape, form, or fashion with the Spaceman episode. We feel the publicity of that incident has not been all good for the town, but publicity did not enter into our thinking on the matter. That, as they say, was the last straw for Jeff. He couldn't stay in the tiny town of Falkville. According to the Huntsville Times, he moved to Mississippi, where he eventually took work as a mechanic. No law enforcement outfit was interested in hiring him, Jeff lost 58 pounds in six months following the incident, from the stress of it all. And one year after the event, Jeff was somehow even more uncertain of what he'd seen. He told the Huntsville Times that, quote, he recognized the chance it was a practical joke. And as for the possible pranksters, should they exist? Huh, I'll club and beat the hell out of them. If I had to do it over, I would have taken out my shotgun and started shooting, and I wouldn't have quit until the last round was fired. I wish I had never told anybody about it. The Huntsville Times wrote in 1974 when they interviewed Jeff for a retrospective that, quote, The anniversary of the incident was last Thursday, and Greenhall said he started to revisit the road where it began. But he decided against it. And who could blame him? By and large, he'd been driven out of Alabama. He stayed in Mississippi, where he did eventually marry again and had five children. But he didn't forget about what happened back in Falkville. He still had the proof, the Polaroids. Jeff told the Coleman Tribune, I took them out and looked at them frequently, for the 10 years that I had them, and I thought that's really weird. The only three things that I had with me that night, the shotgun in the car, the service revolver, 
and the pictures, all three of them came up missing. Jeff reported that at some point along the way, all three had been stolen. And now, if you don't believe Jeff, you'd call that convenient. If you do, you'd look back at that line of bad luck that began the night that he saw the metal man, and you'd draw another strike on poor Jeff Greenhaw's slab. Of course, many people have wondered what precisely the Falkville metal man might have been, assuming that it wasn't an alien. Per the Huntsville Times, there were some theories as to where that suit might have originated. A man from Austell, Georgia, Marion Webb, produced a photo of, quote, an airfare firefighting uniform that looked remarkably like the spacesuit that Jeff saw, at least according to some. Webb felt that the addition of tinfoil could have easily made it reflective. And where could someone have gotten such a suit? Well, Marion Webb was not just a concerned citizen. He worked as an investigator for the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. And as he pointed out to reporters, Redstone Arsenal, which would have had such suits in supply, wasn't far from Falkville, about 37 miles according to our calculations. Marion Webb felt that, all things considered, it would have been easy enough for a person with access to borrow such a suit and create an elaborate hoax. Then, they just have to have someone, a woman perhaps, make a frantic call to a small-town police force who was already primed and ready for UFO sightings and set them up for their very own close encounter. This hoaxer couldn't have imagined, we guess, the chaos it might bring to the life of Jeff Greenhaw. Still, it would have been mighty cruel to let it continue. But a prank would be a fair explanation for what happened that night. Except for one strange thing. The week before Jeff saw the metal man, three children in Decatur, Alabama, that's about 25 minutes from Falkville, were studying at their kitchen table when they saw a strange object through their window. They ran outside and saw what they described as a flying saucer. And just a day or so after Jeff's experience, a child in Hartzell, a town just nine minutes from Falkville, reported, quote, Star Age, outer space-like lights just hanging around town. And right before the metal man sighting, the family of a local minister in Athens, Alabama, people we can probably assume were not the type to pull elaborate hoaxes, called the police to report, quote, an egg-shaped glowing object larger than a car following them down Alabama 251. This was just about 30 minutes from Falkville. The minister's wife, Mrs. Blaylock, told the Daily, I never believed in UFOs before, but we definitely saw something up there last Tuesday. And just after Jeff's sightings, the Decatur Daily reported that multiple members of the staff of Decatur General Hospital, quote, stood for hours watching two bright objects in the vicinity of Mars. October 17th and 18th, so the night of Jeff's encounter and the following evening, there was particularly concentrated activity. All in all, 
sightings and encounters occurred in seven counties, including Morgan, home of Falkville, and Jeff Greenhall, in just those two days. If we were to spread out our net a little wider and look at the week before, Alabama would start to look like a giant Roswell. But let's stick to the current selection. According to the Montgomery Advertiser, of that cluster, the first sighting was reported in Bullock County, where residents reported a greenish glow. There was a glowing vehicle reported in Pike County at a mobile home park, no word specifically on what kind of vehicle, and a state trooper was dispatched. He only saw, quote, cloud formations in the sky. However, a third set of policemen had their very own encounter. Per the advertiser, three patrolmen and the station's dispatcher, quote, said they saw a UFO late Wednesday night and early Thursday, which had a light, strange orange glow and blinking red light. They said it hovered over City Hall. The dispatcher, Mrs. Turner, described the UFO as oblong and the size of a six-room house, and said it would drift away when the police shined spotlights on it. But it drifted right back when the lights ceased their assault. Mrs. Turner told the advertiser that, at one point, I thought it was going to land, and I ran like the devil. Possible explanations popped up in the news. According to the Selma Times Journal, the National Scientific Balloon Facility, based in Texas, released a statement explaining that they'd release balloons on Wednesday, October 17th. They tracked those balloons drifting eastward, and they thought they could account for some of the Alabama sightings. One of them had actually landed in Augusta, Georgia. And there'd also been a major rocket launch in Florida at Eglin Air Base on Thursday the 18th, which a spokesman explained had been, quote, widely publicized to prevent the rockets being mistaken as UFOs, as rockets would be visible over much of the Southeast. That kind of announcement wouldn't actually prevent much. As we all well know, a PSA is not apt to get in the way of someone's extraterrestrial encounter, real or imagined. Of course, none of this can really explain Jeff's experience. Is it possible that someone went to a lot of trouble to hoax an unsuspecting small-town police force? and spent all that time making a suit? Certainly. But it's interesting that it was never brought back out again to continue the fun and to cause even more mayhem. After all, that's quite a bit of trouble to go to just for one night of fun. That's also a lot of damage to inflict on one man without admitting to the hoax. Unless the pranksters had a very good reason to hide, we have to imagine that watching Jeff's life go down, literally in flames, couldn't have been easy. Weeks of alleged alien activity in Alabama and a single night with a shining man seemingly made of metal? That does seem the most easily disproved. In fact, a later chief in Falkville claimed that someone had come forward and taken credit, though he never offered any specifics or proof. And yet, 
October 1973 has gone down in history as one of the most active months in UFO history, specifically in the Southeast, with dozens of sightings that can't be fully explained by those weather balloons and rockets. What can we say? A fire suit and some creative foiling might have been just the thing to scare Jeff Greenhall that fall night. And the amazing running speed? Maybe he could have imagined it, though he was in a truck and the metal man on foot. But the reports of alien spacecraft that came before his encounter and after? Strangers, all we can say is that the answers to those questions won't be found anywhere. Except, perhaps, the stars. Certainly not on this planet, which might be good for us, all things considered. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers, from the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers. One Strange Thing is an entirely independent production. To support our show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us over on Patreon. There you'll get ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, full-length bonus episodes, blogs, and monthly live streams, all for $5 a month. We hope you'll check it out. There's a link in our show notes.